0: This year is part two of a ten-part series describing the ten makkos in Mitzrayim. The second maka, the makkah of Tzvardea, which is typically um, translated as a plague of frogs, is a difficult maka to, to appreciate. Put it this way, every year during the Seder, we try to help the children visualize what, what, happen, what happened in Mitzrayim. And different people employ different tactics to try to take an abstract story from thousands of years ago and make it real. I've been at Starim where sometimes there are props and physical props that are used or visual arts and visual aids, pictures. The easiest Maka to explain to children is, of course, the Maka of because which child, especially which boy, hasn't collected frogs, captured frogs, had pet frogs, uh, frogs as dolls, frogs in pictures. They're cuddly, they're friendly, they're, they're interesting. So it's very easy to describe frogs to them, but while we're describing the plague of frogs, what was so terrible about it? What was so, uh, what was so terrorizing? What was so uh, evil? What was so damaging about these frogs? And sometimes they don't ask that question pointedly enough. What exactly was the Makkah, was the plague of frogs? Why was it part of these ten plagues of affliction, of punishment, of suffering upon the Egyptians? Now, I said typically that Tzvardeh are described as frogs, although this is really the only time or the only context in which the term Tzvardeh is employed in Tanakh. This is really very little reference point. There's a Pasuk in Tehillim, but it's describing the Makkah of So that's not going to help us define Tzvardeh. We'll see later that the summary shown a are very, very different, and in many ways more easy to understand, more easily understood definition of Tverdea as a a play, as a Maka. But assuming the typical translation, that they were actually frogs, these teams and armies of frogs that rose out of the Nile and uh, dispersed over Egypt, what was so difficult? So they had a lot of frogs, they could all catch frogs and add to their collections. Part of it may have been a continuation of disrupting the Egyptian eating and the Egyptian food supply. I mentioned in the previous year about dam, that the water was affected, that the ability to irrigate their fields, the fish, which was probably a luxury item for Egyptians, that was affected. Part of the mention of the frogs is that they infiltrated every part of the Egyptian society, including, as the Torah says, they infiltrated even the tanarecha, even the ovens, and, and chazal, greatly, greatly amplify this invasion of the ovens and the kitchens as if the Egyptians can no longer cook their food with hygienic uh, care, with with cleanliness, with standards of cleanliness. So it's definitely more difficult for the Egyptians to eat and to prepare their food, but that probably won't be sufficient to describe or to define to entail a maca. The main thrust of the plague of frogs, assuming it was frogs, something which Chazal developed based on Pasaches, Pasaches, Pasuk Ches, ches, ches. Um, Moshe ve'aron me'im paro. Moshe and Aaron depart paro, paro having pleaded with Moshe to remove the frogs. Vayitzak Moshe al-Hashem, Moshe da'vin tzak and sh'barchu al-divar hatzvar de'im asher sam'li About the issue of the frogs, which was imposed on paro. Chazal seeing that strange and seemingly unnecessary phrase, al-divar hatzvar that one of, if not the most pressing and tormenting aspects of this plague of frogs was the sound. They interpret the word divar, they stretch it to mean the word debor. That the frogs were a maka, not because they covered the land, not because walking was difficult, cooking or baking, because their croaking just overwhelmed the Egyptians, the sounds that they emitted day and night, croaking, screeching. One of the Russian, for example, speaks about this as a punishment, because the Egyptians lost their sleep. They didn't have the ability to sleep. It was croaking all night long. They couldn't control the sounds. And this was payback or revenge for the Egyptians, disturbing typical sleep habits of the Jewish slaves, forcing them to leave early in the morning, tearing them from their families to go work, to go slave in the fields, to go build cities, to go work in construction sites. So these frogs were croaking. There's another pasuk which describes the frogs entering the houses. So Moshe warns, Pyro that the tzvar uvi uvi'olu uvo bevesacha, they will arise and enter your homes the chadar mishkavcha, and your sleeping areas, your bedrooms, the amitasecha, and where you sleep literally your beds. So this is an image which very, very graphically describes sleep apnea, as we would call it, sleep disruption. Frogs are causing... Um, insomnia to the Egyptians. Um, another medrash likens this croaking not just to disturbing their sleep, but to actually causing terror, to causing fear. Um, Moshe warns them, so he tells the Egyptians that if you don't release the Jewish people, this is Pasuk Chavtas of Perek Zayin, Uvecha uveyamcha. The frogs will attack you, Becha uvi and your nation, and even your slaves, ya'alu hat The will ascend. Um, the word Becha, which means upon you, is typically spelled Beis Chaf, Beis Here is really one of the only times, if not the only time that I know of, in Tanakh, in which the word Becha is spelled Beis Chaf there's an extra He. That root, Beis Chaf is very similar to another Hebrew word, Bechia, to cry, so Chazal sense that the frogs and their sounds and croaking caused terror, caused fear, caused dread, caused the Egyptians either literally to cry or to live in such fear and apprehension, that they were the equivalent of criers. And this is a psychological tool. This is psychological warfare. This is breaking their will, breaking their courage, breaking their arrogance. According to a different matter, it's actually part of a warmongering procedure, the, the Ten Plagues. I mentioned in the previous year that there's so many different ways to align To arrange the Ten Makos, according to one medrash, spoke about this in previous year, and the the Ten Makos were aligned as warfare, and the first step of laying siege to a city is to cut off the water source, and the second stage is to just create sounds and and ruckus and commotion and loud noises all day long to ruin people's routine, to take them out of their routine, to keep them up at night, to soften them psychologically, to attack them emotionally. So the sounds of the frogs, al-divar hat-zvardim, al-dibur zvardim is the first issue which the frogs um, uh, injured or, or, or affected the Egyptian society. They caused them either literally to cry or they caused psychological terror, the equivalent to crying. And this is the first issue of the frogs which Chazal emphasized. The second issue, and it's not as emphasized as much in Chazal, although there are references, there are allusions to it, is converting the Nile River from a river of life, streaming, alive, dynamic, in which primarily fish grow and are fished and eaten after they're fished out of the Nile, after they're drawn and captured from the Nile turning that freshwater Nile as a source of life into a stagnant, stinking, stenching pond, which is inhabited primarily by frogs. Now, of course, there are freshwater frogs, there are frogs that grow just as there are fish that grow in ponds. But by and large, running water is the habitat of fish. Stagnant water, ponds, is the habitat of frogs. Ecologically, not an ecologist, but perhaps ecologically, in running water, the larger fish would consume the frogs, so frogs have to live where fish can't live. I'm sure there are plenty other ecological factors. But without question, in human imagination, a river contains fish and larger creatures. Ponds contain frogs and typically smaller creatures. Not every pond, not every river. The Nile River was a source of life. The Nile River was a fresh water source. The Nile River flowed. These two makos, and notice it's a process of two makos, not just Smerdale, but it's a continuation. If we take a look at the entire body of work, the freshwater Nile turns into blood. The fish inevitably, consequentially, die. Their bodies rot. You've got millions and millions of rotting fish decomposing in this freshwater source, converting into a pond. And all of a sudden the frogs emerge from the pond And this is the final nail in the coffin, metaphorically, for the Nile River as a freshwater source. This convinces the Egyptians that the Nile River is now a swamp, is now a marshland, rather than a freshwater source. And there are scores of psukyam and references to convey this sense of makas svardea. not so much the frogs and the damage they wrought, but just the image the Egyptians had of a freshwater source which is supposed to produce fish and life, Stenching and producing frogs being converted into a pond. So, for example, um, when the frogs actually emerge from the Nile River, or when, when Moshe is, is being instructed what will happen, instructing Paro of Sharatz, how you are the Yar will be shorates, will put forth, will spring forth frogs. In this case, frogs. Strange language. Why doesn't it say, as is typically described in this pasuk? That they will arise from the Nile River, they will exit, they will come from the Nile River. What does it mean? Visharats Without question, this term visharats is reminiscent of the term embracius, Yishutsuhamayim. When the Torah first describes Hakarish creating water source as the source of life, fish, and birds which came from the came from water source. So in Braishis, water sources are the source of dynamic life, of multiple creatures, of of birds and of fish. And now that same water, of Rosh's Brash's, which naturally, and the Nile was one of those rivers which naturally produced life, now that Nile River, instead of being Shoret's birds and fish, is being Shoret's Tzvardea. So even if the Tzvardea themselves caused no discomfort or no inconvenience, just the scene, the Nile River, and the hundreds of thousands of frogs emerging from the Nile River, was very, very dispiriting, and it capped this two makkah I mentioned in last week's shir that the Makos are aligned in many different combinations, not just the Zitzah Hadash In Pasuk Yud, the Nile River, again, is producing these frogs, and Vativash Ha'aretz. Once the frogs die and they're heaped on the ground, the surrounding banks of the Nile River themselves begin to smell. Remember, this is a direct reference to the smell Uvash Ha'yor. So in Dam the Nile River starts to smell because of all the dead carcasses of fish decomposing. Now the carcasses are removed from the Nile River because the Nile River itself smells and the banks of the Nile River are heaped with carcasses of frogs and that's beginning to smell. So this entire region, which was once a teeming region of life and dynamic water flow and and fish, now is just a cemetery that smells and as I mentioned in the previous year, smells a very, very powerful sense. It's olfactory sense. It's very powerful this was a way of, of debasing and humiliating the Nile River, which was seen as a god, as a source of Egyptian technology, of Egyptian cultural pride. They literally couldn't bear to think of the Nile River, let alone visit it, because of the stench. The stench was so deeply nestled in their, in their conscience. There are also many different phrases about the plague of Tsvardea, which was structurally very, very similar to the same phrases which appear about them reminding us of this almost unmistakable connection between Dam and Sfardea, as two makkos literally directed at the Nile River. So, for example, Hashem tells Moshe to visit Paro and to warn him, but at the time of execution, the makka is executed by Moshe and Aharon. Vayam Roshem El Moshe and Mor El Chazal already know that Moshe couldn't perform this individually because it was directed to the Nile River and Moshe had to express gratitude to the Nile River for saving him. But ultimately that same ambiguity where Moshe is told about the Makkah, but at the time of implementation both Moshe and Aaron are involved, reminds us of the parallel between Makas Dam and Makkah Svardea. Or when Aaron stretches his hand and his Mateh's staff, he stretches it on all the rivers, all the Niles, all the tributaries, all the bodies of water the same description about stretching a staff on all the bodies of water is lifted right out of Pasach in Perak describing Makas Dam. So the Torah is very intent on twinning these two Makos to remind us that beyond the sounds which the frogs emitted, the croaking, the terror, the lack of sleep, the lack of routine, the lack of solitude, the lack of tranquility, The frogs also form this final, or entail this final degradation, demotion of the Nile River from a river of fresh water teeming with life and fish, seen by the Egyptians as their cultural currency, deified by the Egyptians as their god. Now it was a stinking, odorous swamp that could only produce frogs. But the truth is, there are so many other phrases in this description that suggest that it wasn't just symbolic, metaphoric. And after all, sounds cause discomfort, loud noises are inconvenient, they shake and they ruin our routine, they cause us insomnia, but it's not violent. It's a cultural, metaphoric transition of the Nile from a river into a swamp. It's not violent. When Moshe warns Pyro, Pasuk Chavzayin and Parach nochi es kol gvur ch- gvur ch- I will attack you. Nogef is a very physical and violent verb. It's, it's another iteration of the verb in Mishpatim, where two men are fighting, and they literally, literally assault by accident, because they're fighting with each other, but their fight causes them to, to literally bully or bull rush a pregnant woman, inadvertently, and and their children miscarry, and there's all sorts of payments and compensation that have to be taken into account. Um, It's hard to imagine frogs causing such violence, even bullfrogs. I mean, frogs don't really cause such physical violent damage or harm. Even more interesting is a Pasek in Tehillim, and it's very important to parallel the references. There are two or three Pasek in Tehillim which reference the Makos, they group the Makos in different ways, which we wouldn't expect from, say, for Shemos. There are images about these Makos, which are conjured up in Tehillim. So it's extremely important to learn about the Makos from Tehillim as well. So in in Ches, the 78th chapter of Tehillim, one of the parakim which describes the Makos, in Pasuk Memhe, an interesting pairing between Arov and Sardea. But obviously they're paired together because they're both animal-based, or amphibious animal, but they're both part of the animal kingdom, so to speak. But listen to this Pesach. Yishalach <laughs> bahem arov vayochleim. Hashem sent the wild animals to ravage them, to consume them, to plunder them. That's obvious. That's the purpose of arov, and Mary's Hashem will discuss it. Utzvardeah <laughs> And Just as HaKadosh Baruch Hu sent the arov, HaKadosh Baruch Hu sent the tzvardeah <laughs> v'tashchiseim, to destroy them, to obliterate them. I don't know of many frogs that cause hashchasa such obliteration. Another pasuk in Bo, in, in Vaira, which suggests that we're not talking about frogs, is Moshe Davening for the removal of the frogs. But the pasuk noting that the frogs will depart from the Egyptian plains, the Egyptian meadows, will no longer cause such damage. Rak <speaking> tisha'arna. Okay, Moshe promises Pyro that they'll remain the, or they won't disappear, the Arba disappeared. We'll talk about the disappearing Arba. But whatever these frogs were, the danger they entailed, the plague, was not as intense after it ended, but still from time to time, whatever the Tzvardea caused repeated itself in Egyptian history. And the matter says that there's this Tzvardea-like animal that remained in the Nile and from time to time came out of the Nile and literally, the language of the Medrash Grabbed human beings and killed them. There's no question, and this is already something suggested by the Evan Ezra explicitly, by the Ramban explicitly, that the Tzvardaya, by the Ramban's Talmud, Rabbein Abachi, explicitly, that one interpretation of the Tzvardaya was not a frog, but an alligator or a crocodile. Etymologically, it's referred to as a Tzvardaya because it comes from the word sipor because there was a bird, which many images of alligators confirm. There's this particular bird, I don't know the exact uh, natural or clinical name for that bird, which has a symbiotic relationship with the alligator. It cleans its teeth from different uh, parasites or different uh, bacteria, and it eats whatever leftover food the crocodile or the alligator is no longer interested in. And certainly in ancient pictures, the crocodile or the alligator was rendered with a bird on top of it, Many accounts claim that the bird actually could chirp and warn the alligator of oncoming predators, or of alert him to the possibility of foodstuffs in the area. A tsipar da, a animal that gets its information, its da, its information, its da, it's from a tsipor, would be an ancient way to describe an alligator. The Eben Ezra actually talks about the Altimsach beast, but in ancient Egyptian records, the al Timsah beast, or the Timsa, the Timsa beast was an alligator, or a crocodile, not the exact clinical name exactly for what animal or what crocodile slash alligator lived in Egypt or inhabits the Egyptian area. This changes the entire, entire image of Tzvardea. wasn't homely, attractive, cute frogs causing minor inconveniences, loud noises, and all the night symbolizing the death of the Nile as a fresh water. So these were alligators that arose from the Nile, and part of the terror is that the alligators camouflage themselves, as we know, very, very well in bodies of water, and they just leap out of the water and grab whatever life forms, whatever living creatures are standing by the Nile and grab them back into the water and clasp and clutch them, and don't let go. The, one of the hardest, if not the hardest bite of the entire animal kingdom, hardest grip, toughest grip, and one of the dominating words throughout this parsha is the arising tsardea, the alu uva'u, They arose, this repeats itself, I don't have time to read it, but at least six or seven times in this parsha, they arose from the Nile. Frogs don't arise, they leap out. The alligator literally rises from the water because you don't see it. it, camouflages itself. And this also explains the medrash, that these animals, or these in, in this case reptiles, return to the Nile, as we know, they never disappeared entirely, but just the, the level of the plague was reduced, was diminished, but everyone knows that these crocodiles and alligators continue to entail peril for people standing by the banks of the Nile River. It explains the association in Tehillim between the Arov and the Tzvardea. They were both violent, violent creatures, literally killing the Egyptians. It explains the term nogev. It explains so much about Tzvardea, in addition, it explains a very interesting phraseology in which the tsvardea is referred to once as a single svardea that covers the land of Egypt. V'ata'ala Tzvardea <speaking> in Pasuk <Hebrew> Beis The Tzvardea arose v'atechaseh <speaking in Hebrew> so, I M'shayim mean, it covered the land of Egypt. Now why the covering of the land is important is a separate story. Mir Shema will hopefully talk about it in a future shir, what does it mean to cover the land what does it mean, a single day? How could a single frog cause such damage? And there's a machlokus in Sanhedrin, Tuna be and B'Alaza Ben-Azair, and Tzedek Zayin, and some Zayin, how to interpret this. But if it is an alligator, then the notion of, even though there are probably plenty of alligators, but the fear caused by one alligator is enough to be captured in a singular term. If there are frogs, you, you're not afraid of one frog. If there's a million frogs, it can cause inconvenience, loud sounds. But if there's one alligator, it causes fear. And it can literally cover Egypt. I mean, from the eyes of the beholder, it looks like there's this beast coming out of the Nile, perhaps that you've never seen before. And all of a sudden, this beast is devouring and attacking the land of Egypt. Now, it's altogether possible that Makkah included both. There's nothing preventing a reading which, which suggests that basically this Makkah was a combination of all three elements caused by two different life forms. The frogs caused the loud sounds, the croaking, the shrieking, the frogs caused the conversion, or at least they symbolize the conversion of the Nile from a river into a swamp. And the alligators were essentially rising out of the Nile, terrorizing the Egyptians and, 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 and killing Egyptians. There's nothing preventing. The Pusik provides different imageries, and perhaps they were both occurring. And the common denominator between them was basically the Nile River, not just transforming into a swamp, but whatever was happening, the attack was clearly being launched by the Nile River. So there's a complete inversion, not just of the Nile River from river to swamp, but of the Nile River from friend, so to speak, friendly, life-providing, godlike, providing life, food, source of sustenance, into the source of the attack upon the Egyptians. And this was a complete transformation culturally, existentially, psychologically, religiously. The Nile was now the launching pad of this all-out assault of Egypt. Whether it was a metaphoric assault, whether it was just inconvenience, but significant inconvenience, whether it was alligators, perhaps the Egyptians had never seen these alligators, perhaps this was the first time in nature that a Baruch sent these alligators. Either way, the Nile was now converted into an enemy. These are some of the imageries associated with Tzvardea. If the Tzvardea were frogs, they caused loud sounds, Inconvenience, disruption of schedule, insomnia. They transformed the Nile into a swamp. In addition to there being frogs, there may have also been alligators that rose up suddenly out of the Nile, terrorizing the Egyptians. Remember, in modern context, we have ways to put down alligators, to tranquilize alligators, to kill alligators. They're very, very scaly, thick-skinned creatures. If you're trying to defeat alligators with spears, good luck. It's not that easy. And this was a major, major assault on the Egyptians.